Hello, Online Pillar community. I'm glad to be with you today and celebrating in this way. As we get ready for God's word, let's pray together. Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, I pray that the words of my mouth and the meditation of our hearts may be pleasing to you, our rock and our redeemer. Amen. Pictures. When you start to get a picture of the good life in your mind, what does that picture look like? Who are the people in the picture? What are the things in that picture? What are the colors in that picture? When you picture the good life, what does that picture look like? Is it a picture that's happening right now, somewhere in the future? As Pastor John said last week, we often reach into the future trying to grab something, trying to get something, believing if we get that, that finally we will have the good life. Is your picture now? Is your picture in the future? And if you finally get the good life, will it be good? Or will you be disappointed and think to yourself, you know, I've got to resync this thing. I've got to try to find another good life because this isn't quite what I wanted. I love how Andrew Root, a professor at Lutheran Seminary, talks about it. He says this, Achieving your dream feels deeply disappointing. Your formerly great dream suddenly feels flat, dry, and arid. It feels that way because our modern age celebrates the future in newness. When we reach our dream, it no longer is new, and so it becomes a disappointment. It's better to keep moving the goalposts, editing your dream, to keep it always in the future. Pictures. What is your picture of the good life? What would happen if we would take our picture of the good life and swap it for God's picture of the good life? This summer at Pillar, we are in a series of messages that talk about, so whom do we go to? And the words come from John chapter 6, where all the people are deserting Jesus. And Jesus looks at his disciples and said, are you going to desert me too? And Peter responds, Lord, to whom shall we go? You have the words of eternal life. To whom shall we go? You have the words of eternal life. If Jesus has the words of eternal life, which, by the way, in the Bible, eternal life means the best life you can possibly live right now, given your circumstances. If Jesus has the words of eternal life, could it also be that he also has the picture, the best picture of the good life? So if God comes and gives us a picture, what's the picture of God's good life? If you look around through the Bible, you can see all kinds of different pictures of the good life. But there's probably few better than the picture we have in front of us right now. The picture of the bread and the cup. These are a picture of the good life. Listen to these words from 1 Corinthians chapter 11. For what I received from the Lord, I also passed on to you, that on the night he was betrayed, Jesus took bread, and when he had given thanks, he broke it and said, this is my body given for you. Do this in remembrance of me. In the same way, after supper, 
he took the cup and said, this is a new covenant in my blood. Do this in remembrance of me. For as often as you eat the bread and drink the cup, you proclaim the Lord's death until he comes. The picture of the good life in the bread, in the cup. But not just a picture of the good life in bread and cup, but in this bread and cup, God also empowers us to live this good life. So let's unpack that a little bit, figure this out together. What is this good life that's in the bread and the cup? Well, Paul says, for as often as you eat this bread and drink this cup, you proclaim the Lord's death until he comes. The very first thing God tells us about the good life is this. The good life has a good end. And the way God connects this to the feast is that the feast or the Lord's Supper is the feast of the end of days. Did you know that when Jesus talks about the kingdom of God, the number one picture that he connects to the kingdom of God is a feast. And as he connects it to the kingdom of God, as it connects to the supper, it connects us to the very end of time when the great supper will happen, the supper of the Lamb. We read in Revelation chapter 19, then I heard what sounded like a great multitude, like the roar of rushing waters and like loud peals of thunder shouting, hallelujah, for our Lord God Almighty reigns. Let us rejoice and be glad in him and give him the glory. For the wedding supper of the Lamb has come and his bride has made herself ready. Fine linen, bright and clean, was given her to wear. Fine linen stands for the righteous acts of the saints. Then the angel said to me, write this, blessed are those who are invited to the wedding supper of the Lamb. And he added, these are the true words of God. The world ends not with a whimper, nor with a bang, but with the sound of laughter and gladness and community and awe and wonder with the sound of a wedding feast. A good life is a life that has a good end. And this picture of bread and cup reminds us of that good end that are coming. As one person has said, because the bridegroom has come, he offers the wedding feast now. And though the feast the church celebrates is perhaps only a crumb or two from the table, it is a real anticipation of that future feast. God's picture. A good life has a good end. A good life has purpose. Paul tells us that on that night that Jesus takes bread, and when he has given thanks, he broke it. He took bread. For those of you who know a little bit about the Lord's Supper, have you ever wondered, with all of its connections to Passover, why in the world Jesus took bread? I mean, the table is covered with options. He could have used bitter herbs. Or more likely, he could have used lamb. I mean, think about this. He is the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. In the book of Revelation, we see a picture of the Lamb. And of course, the Passover feast directs us back to the Old Testament where the lamb is slain and blood is put on the doorposts. And as blood is put on the doorposts, people are rescued. He could have chosen lamb. It seems like the obvious choice. 
But Jesus chooses bread. Why? Because bread represents the calling of humankind. You see, bread is unique, a unique human creation. No animal can create bread. No animal can plant the grain that needs to be planted, change the grain into flour, knead the bread, start the fire, make the bread. It's a unique human thing, and it reminds us of the calling that we have as God's people. A calling to be those who transform God's creation for the good of creation, for the good of humankind, and for the glory of God. Bread represents all of those things to us. It represents what God is doing in our lives and through our lives. It reminds us that a good life is a life that brings transformation. Theologian Peter Lightheart says this, when the bread set on the table and agriculture and culinary science and technology lies in the background, bread-making humankind is the agent of transformation and humankind is given creation not only to use its products in their natural state, but also to transform them for the enrichment of human life, not only as guardian of what is, but creator of what is not yet, not only to eat, but to bake. The bread maker is a creature who builds cities, sends probes to the edges of the galaxies, transforms sand into silicon chips. Bread making humanity is scientific and technological humanity. We have here not only the beginning of a Lord's Supper tech theology of technology, but also the beginning of a Lord's Supper aesthetic and economics. When Jesus offers bread at the Lord's Supper, he sets that reality before us. He reminds us that we are people who are called to transform the creation for the glory of God and the good of humankind and the good of creation. He reminds us of this amazing thing that we are not only called to be guardians of what is, but creators of what is not. A good life. A good life is a life of purpose. A good life is a life that has a good end, and a good life is a life that is lived in community. Have you ever noticed that when we start the Lord's Supper together, it's really easy to see the bread. It's really easy to see the cup. They're right before us. We say some things about them, but a few moments into serving the supper, you know what we can't do? We can't see those things anymore. What we see is people. Whether they are gathered around a table or coming up an aisle to be handed the elements, what we see is people. You see, there is no Lord's Supper without people. The Lord's Supper actually reminds us of the events that create a new people of God. A new people of God who are called and shaped and molded and formed by the Spirit of God. A new people of God who, as they walk through life together, hear these words about their becoming this new people. Is not the cup of thanksgiving for which we give thanks a participation in the blood of Christ? It is not the bread that we break a participation in the body of Christ. Because because there is one loaf, we who are many are one body. For we all share the one loaf. We who are many 
are now one body. We who are many are now one community, a community in which Jesus reigns as king, in which the Holy Spirit works within us to draw us together to be a faithful people, a community in which we become a people that as we do this work and live this life together, the world gets a foretaste of the wedding supper of the Lamb. Where as we step and work together, that not only do they get a foretaste of this whole piece of what the wedding supper of the Lamb is, but they see us as a community who are called by the Spirit, equipped and empowered by the Spirit, and sent by the Spirit into the world on the mission of God. Our world belongs to God. A contemporary testimony gives us just a quick peek into just part of the wonder of this community when it says this. In our world, where many journey alone, nameless in the bustling crowd, Satan and his evil forces seek whom they may scatter and isolate. But God, by his gracious choosing of Christ, gathers a new community. Those who by God's gift put their trust in Christ. In the new community, all are welcome. The homeless come home. The broken find healing. The sinner makes a new start. The despised are esteemed, the least are honored, and the last are first. Here the Spirit guides and grace abounds. God's picture of a good life is to be part of that community. To be part of the laughter and the joy and the wonder and the gladness and the celebration of that community. And also to be part of the struggles of that community. Something amazing happens around the table. God sits down with those who used to be his enemies, but are now his children and his heirs. God sits down with those who are used to in animosity with God, but are now beloved children of the great king, wanted, loved, adopted by him. And those who gather around this table recognize that they too find themselves in a similar place, that they sit at this table with those who should be their enemies, with those they may be in struggle with, with people who they don't necessarily like. But they come to this table and they say, together we are a reconciling and reconciled community. Together we come to this place, and sometimes it's a struggle, but we work to forgive one another, to love one another, to care for one another. We come to this place recognizing that we don't come here, I don't come here just with a, a great Jesus and me experience, but I gather with a community of people that are seeking to come together to forgive when we've messed up, to love when another feels unlovable, to care when we, may be not, when we may not want to care. But we do all of this because we are a community and because Jesus Christ has come into the world sent by the Father to reconcile us to the Father so that we can be reconciled to one another, so that we can experience the love of God so we can love others. As John says in his epistle, we love because he first loved us. Whoever claims to love God yet hates his brother or sister is a liar. Whoever does not love their brother and sister whom they see cannot love God whom they have not seen. And he has given us this command, anyone who loves God must also love their brother and sister. God's picture of a good life 
A good life has a good end. A good life has a purpose. A good life is lived in community. And finally, for this morning, a good life is lived in community. Paul says to us that Jesus takes the cup. The cup, wine. Wine is a beverage of celebration and delight in the Bible. But it's also something else. In the Bible, the priests in the Old Testament are not allowed to drink wine in the presence of God. We read in the book of Leviticus, you and your sons are not to drink wine, rather fermented drink, whenever you go into the tent of meeting, or you will die. This is a lasting ordinance for the generations to come. Wine in the Bible is not only a picture of celebration, it's a picture of relaxation. The priest could never enter into the presence of God with wine because it would relax them. And they couldn't be relaxed because they had a constant duty in front of them to make sure that sacrifices were being offered for the people, for the forgiveness of their sins. But we live in a new time. Jesus died once for all. Our sins are forgiven. And because of that, we join in drinking the wine of celebration, knowing that no matter what we have done, no matter where we have been, no matter what this past week has happened, that God is the God who brings forgiveness. Not only that, he is the God of fresh starts, he is the God of do-overs. And so we take the cup of celebration. We drink the cup knowing that our sins are completely forgiven through Jesus Christ. The good life. The good life is a life that has a good end, that has a purpose, that is lived in community, a life that celebrates. That's what these things tell us, this bread and this cup and the word of God. That's what they tell us, but they also say something more to us. They tell us that not only is the story before us of what the good life is, but also in the bread and in the cup, God strengthens us for the journey to live this good life. He gives us the vitality and the energy we need to live this good life. The bread and cup aren't just inanimate objects. They are actually the gifts of God for the people of God to strengthen us for the journey Guido de Bray, a 16th century reformer in the Belgic Confession, says this, We believe that our good God has ordained sacraments for us to seal his promises in us, to pledge his goodwill and grace toward us, and also to nourish and sustain us in our faith. God gives the sacraments to nourish us and sustain us in our faith. In these sacraments, the Spirit reminds us of God's picture of the good life and gives us vitality to live the good life. Or putting it another way, in the sacraments, the Spirit unites us to Christ and all of his benefits. The picture of the good life. In the cup, in the bread. A picture that shows us what we can do, who we can be living this good life, and the strength to live the life. With that in mind, let's turn our attention to the table. As we do that this morning, we are reminded that the table is a place of remembrance, communion, 
and hope. We remember that Christ has come, that Christ has died, that Christ was risen, that Christ ascended. We remember that and that in that life of Christ and his death, his resurrection, his ascension, that we find forgiveness of sins and made into a community. It's a time of communion. When we commune with the risen Christ, when the Holy Spirit through this time of communion unites us to Christ and his benefits. And it's a time of hope. Hope because we look and we say, this is that foretaste of the great wedding supper of the Lamb. And so this morning I invite you to take the bread, to take the cup, to do so in remembrance, communion, and hope of the wedding supper of the Lamb to come.